Welcome back to CrimeFiction.fm, where we bring the authors of today's best mysteries, thrillers, and suspense novels directly to you. I'm your host, Stephen Campbell, and I'm here with Joshua Corin, the author of the riveting new thriller, Cost of Life. Joshua, welcome. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. I read a review, or, or I guess a blurb for your book from Douglas Preston who's a pretty good writer in his own right that I think most oh, yeah. uh, listeners would be uh, familiar with. He said, Joshua Korn is a master storyteller. Cost of Life is a thriller par excellence, brilliantly imaginative, well-written, and delightfully diabolical. Highly recommended. Uh, that's fabulous. <laughs> yeah, you can't do much better than that. Yeah. Well, I, I love the book. I love the... You know, I, I started in, and I, I'm wondering, what is this? What's the what's the deal here? What's going on? And uh, it, it really is delightfully diabolical. It's it's a clever it's a clever plot. Let's uh, without giving away anything. Let tell us a little bit about the story. Sure. Well, I mean, essentially, uh, a plane a plane full of passengers is taken hostage, and. The hijackers decide to auction off the passengers online, uh, and the world can bid on them, and uh, the passengers who receive the highest bids are going to be released, and the passengers who receive the lowest bids are going to be executed. <laughs> That's diabolical. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny. I, I imagine delightfully diabolical could probably be applied to me. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm also a professor, and I'm giving an exam later this afternoon, so I'm sure some of my students are uh, already thinking of what to put on Rate My Professor, and perhaps diabolical might show up. <laughs> yeah, maybe not delightful. <laughs> maybe not delightful. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. All right. How, how'd you come up with the idea for this? Um, well, it, it came about uh, kind of sideways the way that uh, ideas usually do. Uh, I follow politics and I follow economics and I have become fascinated by the notion of uh, sabermetrics and data-driven decisions. Uh, And more and more policy decisions are being made by data, so much so that people are reduced to data. And that's not necessarily a new concept, but the way that it's become a kind of a given that we are, you know, important decisions can be made about us just based on data. And so it got me to thinking, well, you know, the, the data that is most associated with people is money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what if we were reduced, in fact, to money? How much would I be worth versus how much would – and there are companies and companies and so on and so forth that uh, that do this, actuaries, that's basically their job. So it got me to thinking, well, if I'm worth if I'm worth X and the person sitting next to me is worth Y because they're worth more than I am, they might get special privileges. And again, this is not new thinking, mm-hmm. but I just applied it now to the 21st century and to online and uh, the way that we bid on products and uh, even bid on organs uh, briefly on eBay. And it just takes it to the next logical level. And then I also was looking at uh, the situation in uh, Chechnya this a couple of years ago, and I thought, well, you know, this is a political situation that fascinates me. And so whatever wrote about that, and this is all like, it, you know, as I'm describing, it's dry, and uh, it, it's. I think p- part of the job, I th- for me at least, is making something that 
that might seem dry and academic, interesting and full of twists and some funny characters and a roller coaster of a ride. I think that's part of the job of, you know, a really good book is to is to give us, you know, the philosophy and the politics and the economics and so on and so forth, but to do it in a, a you know a sugar coated delivery system. And I, I'm sort of a data geek myself, so I, I don't find the idea of, of using data in, in this way to be dry at all. But you, you really did. There's a lot of sugarcoating in here in terms of characterization. There's one particularly great character in here uh, who goes by the name of Xanadu Marks. Tell us yeah. about Xanadu. Uh, well, uh, she is the daughter of... Uh, an archaeologist, a uh, archaeologist who specializes in the Mongol Empire, and so he names his daughter Xanadu uh, from the Coleridge poem uh, about Kublai Khan, and she is a mess. She <laughs> there's one line in in the book that I I just love. She's talking with a friend of hers early on in the book, and I I think the the friend might be Hindu. And uh, she offers her a cigarette or a can of soda or something, and, and the friend refuses and says, no, my body's a temple. And the Xanadu says, my body's an amusement park. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's her. That, that's pretty much the way that she goes through life. I mean, she's uh, – when the book starts, she's just gotten out of rehab. She uh, was an FBI agent. And she was also an al- – is an alcoholic, and she went on a bender – and quite literally went on a bender. She she drove her car into a house and <laughs> bent it all out of shape. And so now she's you know, she's going to rehab, and this hijacking occurs that she wants in on. She you know this is right in her wheelhouse as far as what she used to do with the FBI. But nobody wants to work with her anymore because she's she has this reputation of being uh, uh, an alcoholic. But she's also uh, isn't really. The kind of person who suffers fools gladly or <laughs> a- at all. Uh, she doesn't really have a filter when it comes to social social interaction. And, uh, you know, to her credit, she's ballsy. She's uh, very smart, very intuitive. But she's, how can I say, she's not a people person. And... <laughs> Yet she's basically going to be the one who might be the only hope for these passengers, these hostages. Yep, like I said, a fabulous character. <laughs> and and there Thank are you. other great characters in there as well. Um, a, a young lady that she's traveling around with early in the book is is a pretty unique character. Um, there, there's just there's a bunch of them, even all the way down to the Chetsnians. I mean, just yeah. a, a unique uh, character grouping in the book. Now, you you came, you've been writing novels for a while. Uh, prior to that, and, and probably during uh, the time you were writing novels, you were also a playwright and a screenwriter. Yeah, well, actually, uh, when I when I left grad school, I, I went to New York City to become a playwright mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and a, a screenwriter. And I, I did have some early success with screenwriting, uh, so much so that it, it kind of strangely led to me writing my first novel and getting my first novel uh, published. Uh, but and, and I had a little success with playwriting as well. But uh, I just, I, I kept getting drawn back to writing novels because as I was growing up, 
I, I would always uh, dream of seeing my books in bookstores. And I love just uh, the art of storytelling. And more and more of the stories that I would be thinking about would be stories that needed to be told as novels rather than uh, a visual story, which is a screenplay or a, a more dialectic, uh, dialogue-driven story uh, in, um, in the form of a play, a stage play. Uh, although you can have dialectics, I suppose, in the novel too. You know, I, I like I like opposing sides. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, that especially when when opposing sides are both right. And I, I think I think that the vil- the villains in Cost of Life, uh, they do some really nefarious things, but they see themselves as justified. And I think it's important in a good novel that the villains believe themselves to be justified uh, as much as the uh, protagonist. That that does really balance out the novel a lot when when the author takes the time to do that and and some don't some you've got a really well developed character on one side and you've got these cardboard cutout characters with no real motivation on the other side other than to be a bad guy, right right yeah and, and sometimes you know the, sometimes it's fun to read read a book like that or see a movie like that uh, like I remember uh, seeing John Wick uh, a couple months ago and thinking. You know, I'm just having a good time watching this movie. Uh, the bad guys weren't, uh, aside from the lead bad guy, uh, the, the villains were really cardboard. But it was so much fun to watch Keanu Reeves uh, bust that, the, you know, rip those cardboards in, in half and uh, shoot, shoot holes in those cardboard cutouts. And so, yeah, there's a place for that. But I think when you're talking about novels versus film, uh, novels allow for more complexity. We can go inside the characters' minds. We can have flashbacks without necessarily interrupting the momentum of the narrative. And uh, I, I think that's. I think uh, as authors, we kind of owe it to our readers to give three-dimensional characters versus two-dimensional characters. Are there things that that you do sort of? almost via habit when when screenwriting that translate particularly well to novel writing that that give a, an advantage to someone that has a training in screenwriting uh well they're very different forms uh, it's important to recognize the differences i think i mean ultimately screen storytelling is storytelling mm-hmm. and what works in one story will work in another story but uh the way that it's presented the medium it's presented uh, does is linked to uh, the content. You know, content dictates form, and so when you do a very faithful adaptation uh, from one medium to another, usually it does not work. You have to make changes, and I think being aware of the differences between uh, screenwriting and novel writing probably is the best lesson I've I've learned uh, linking the two. Okay. Now, in, in the past, the, the books that you've, you've written, have they all been thrillers? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, my, my, my first novel, Nuclear Winter Wonderland, was uh, kind of like an absurdist thriller. It was definitely more in the comic mode, but it was suspenseful. And, and uh, I, I like writing page turners. I like writing the kind of book that people can read, and suddenly they look at the clock, and hours have passed, and they, <laughs> they've just have been completely lost in the book. Because I, I love reading those kinds of books. Uh, I, you know, I want to write books that um, not only you know, speak to the mind, but also speak to the imagination in the mind, the rational and, and, and the imaginative, uh, so much so that uh, y- you can't put the book down. 
you know, and, and that's, I mean, isn't that what we all want from the ideal reading experience? It absolutely is. And, and this leads me into my next question, which is Thriller Fest. You're involved uh, with the awards committee. You're actually the chairman of the awards committee committee for Thriller Fest, which is Correct. the International Thriller Writers Annual Convention in New York City that's coming up in July. So can you give uh, listeners a little bit of a background for Thriller Fest and, and how, you're, how you became involved and, and what you do as the awards committee chair. You bet. Uh, so uh, the International Thriller Writers is, is a fabulous organization uh, that was founded uh, about 10 years ago, a little over 10 years ago. And it's to recognize all thrillers because in the past, mysteries have been recognized, crime fiction has been recognized as a whole, but thrillers, for whatever reason, have been pushed aside. And so this organization was created by Gail Inns and uh, David Morrell, who, who were the first co-presidents, to kind of recognize suspense fiction, thrillers, uh, supernatural thrillers, uh, or thrillers of, of all, all types. Mm-hmm. And uh, what has been wonderful about the organization is the way it, it has built into it a structure for new writers. Uh, the organization goes out of its way to help debut novelists. In fact, we have a debut novelist program that I was a part of when I was a debut novelist, and it is nurturing. It is uh, it, it's everything that you could possibly hope for. Uh, you get to meet with writers who have been down the road you're about to walk down, and they gave you not just honest advice, but they also help you along the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've, so I've been to Thriller Fest now, which is the annual uh, convention for the International Thriller Writers. I, I've been now for a number of years, and I, I feel you know, an, a certain obligation and responsibility toward the organization because the organization has done so much good for me as a writer, just being being able to um, befriend so other so many other delightfully diabolical people. It's <laughs> It's, it's been a blessing. One of the things that makes Thriller Fest so unique is that it takes place in New York, which yes. for people outside of the publishing world, uh, you may not know that most of the agents and many of the publishers are in New York City. So it's it's people from all over the country come to this particular conference uh, for a number of reasons. But one of them is because it's in New York and it gives them a chance to meet with people that they may only see once a year. Absolutely. Uh, well, from all over the world, we, we have people. And one of the features of Thriller Fest is Pitch Fest, um, where we have agents and editors, uh, major ed- editors, major you know, from, from uh, the big publishers and mm-hmm. uh, from the biggest agencies. They come and uh, you can pitch them. Uh, they're there by choice. And uh, they're there because they love thrillers, and they want to uh, they want to work with new writers. And we've had so much great success come out of that. We've had major uh, authors emerge from Pitchfest and uh, go on to fabulous careers. So it's 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 a really nurturing. Uh, organization and uh, you know, I also belong to the Mr. Writers of America, which is a fabulous organization. I, you mm-hmm. know, I, I don't mean any slight against them. I, you know, I, I for a while I was a member of the Dramatist Guild, and uh, right now uh, my uh, full commitment though is to ITW as the awards chair. I'm in charge of uh, making sure that we that the publishers send in. The books that and the stories that need to be read to make I have to get the judges and 
make sure that they read the material, make sure that they're able to agree on a list of finalists. And I work under uh, the vice president of awards, Carla Buckley, and uh, we've been working together now for a number of years on the awards. And I think that we've, I, you know, I, I feel nervous saying this because I feel like I'll jinx it, but I, th- I think we've done a good job over the past couple of years. Uh, the awards have grown. We now are uh, one of the first we were one of the first organizations to offer an award for ebook originals, and we offer an award now for also for uh, best young adult fillers. And so I think that also sets us apart from, uh, say, uh, s- some other award, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some other awards. And uh, you know, it, it's always it's always a fun evening at the banquet, the awards banquet. We we invite a grandmaster over. We we had Anne Rice and uh, Scotch Row last year. And it's and they get to mingle with the writers, and there's really no sense of elitism in the organization at all. And I was always I was worried as, an, as a debut author, especially that oh no, they'll see that I'm a debut, they won't want to talk to me, or they won't recognize my name. And it's not like I go to conferences where people will, will look down at your badge, and then if they recognize you or something, then they'll talk to you. Mm-hmm. None of yeah, that's really the only time people are looking at people's badges is if maybe they've had a little too much to drink or whatever, and they're like, <laughs> I, yeah, I just need to remember who you are. But there, there's very little judging going on uh, as far as personal interaction. It's just it's such a wonderful environment. I look at it as honestly, I look at it as summer camp. And and I've heard a number of people say the same thing. It's just that people are so welcoming there at Thriller Fest. And I, I, I won't say that it's not like that at other conferences, but people go out of their way to talk about how at Thriller Fest. And, and the, they're the biggest thriller writers in the world there. Yeah. And, and they're very welcoming, very accessible. Um, it, it sounds like a blast. I almost went last year and something came up at the last minute. I wasn't able to go. So hopefully I'm going to be there one of these years. It's not going to be this year, but uh, one of these years I'd love to be there. So while we've got you and since you're on the awards committee, give us a little preview. Who's going to win all the awards this year? <laughs> <laughs> Do we have to show up at the awards banquet to hear that? Yeah, yeah, I'm afraid so. Uh, yeah, this would be my last year uh, <laughs> as a award chair, I think, if I were to reveal that information. I can tell you that uh, we have uh, the, no- the nominees have been announced, and we have some fabulous nominees. My favorite thing about awards, uh, you know, I, I could go, I could talk about perhaps whether it's fair to give an award to one book over another book, but uh, I think the best thing about awards is that they offer readers a list of authors and books that maybe they otherwise would not have found. And I know as awards chair, I'm always impressed and uh, wowed by the new authors that I didn't know about. And I I consider myself a fairly avid reader Mm -hmm. uh, and well-informed reader. Uh, The new authors that I read uh, because they they became nominated books or even some of the books that uh, people will talk about, It, it, it creates conversation and it's uh, and anything that creates creates conversation in a positive light and causes people to search out and find new books. I think it, it is is a fabulous fabulous thing. I, and I completely agree. I w- we had a show a few weeks ago about the Edgar Awards where we went on. Uh, we just talked about the individual books that had been nominated, and it's such a great way. You, you look through these books, and inevitably there are books that you missed. And it gives you a great opportunity to add to your 
to be read list and uh, introduces you to some people that you might not be familiar with. And it's the same, I'm sure, with uh, with your awards list. Exactly. So Thriller yeah. Fest is coming up in July. It's July 7th through the 11th in New York City. It's a great time if you happen to be there. Um, you know, if you're going to be in town at that at that time, it, it's a great opportunity to go and see some some big stars, and you can go online and, and register for the event um, at the Thriller Fest website, right? Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and everyone's very approachable there. Uh, I mean, we're talking about you know the biggest uh, thriller writers in the world, uh, be it uh, Lee Child or you know you mentioned Douglas Preston. Mm-hmm. Uh, we 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 get uh, everyone. They show up, and uh, there are signings. And there are cocktail parties, and there is no discrimination. Uh, everyone just goes there to talk about writing and have a good time. You know, it's just a wonderful, wonderful environment. All right. So we're, we're talking with Josh Corin, the author of Cost of Life, a fabulous new thriller. Josh, what's the best way for people to keep up with your work? Uh, well, I have a website, uh, joshuacorin.com, and so that's probably the best way uh, to get news uh, events for signings, uh, news about new books, and so on and so forth. All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I hope I get to uh, meet you sometime face-to-face at ThrillerFest. That would be great. That would be great. This is Stephen Campbell for CrimeFiction.fm. You can find us on iTunes and on the web at www.CrimeFiction.fm. If you are an iTunes listener, please subscribe and give us a rating or a review. Those will help other crime fiction readers find great new books like Cost of Life from Joshua Corin. Thanks for listening.